You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, January 26, 2022. This is Alf, directly speaking from the Netherlands in Europe. It's 10 p.m. I don't give a crap we are, because I'm here with my friend and the one and only Darius Dale, founder and CEO of 42 Macro. And we got to unpack what Jay Powell just told you. How are you doing, Darius? I think you mean Drew Rosenhaus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great, though, my well, friend. How are you doing today? It's good. It's good. So let's give let's give a bit our uh, top reading effectively of what Jay Powell said. I'm gonna start if you don't mind, Ed. I'm the host, but I'm gonna take this this benefit here. So um, we can wrap up the press conference in about 30 seconds with the following statement: Journalist Powell, what do you think of the economy? Jay Powell, I'm hawkish. Jay Powell, what do you think of the yield curve? It's flattening. Are you afraid of that? I don't give a crap. I'm hawkish. Jay Powell, what do you think is going to be the effect if you keep on tightening like that? The economy is perhaps not growing as fast as before. Look at the stock market, Jay Powell. I don't care. I'm hawkish. That's more or less a summary from my side. What do you think, Didi? Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's the uh, the Drew Rosenhaus uh, uh, joke there. You know, the uh... next question, please. <laughs> no, so I, I think it's real, quite really simple. The statement removed the hawkish right tail from the sort of timing and pace and and magnitude and all the uncertainty around uh, bad policy normalization this year. The press conference just put the hawkish right tail back on there. It really undid a lot of the what was uh, what, what was accomplished in the in the statement. Uh, I'm not sure to what benefit, but I do believe the sort of nimble quote um, is the sort of market oriented uh, market oriented person that is Powell sort of wanted to leave that in there just to give them some flexibility. Yeah, so uh, it's important to talk about scenarios here because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, but everybody was looking for more clarity going forward. Yep. And so um, let's talk about the tails of the distribution, right? So Powell was asked a couple of times, um, what do you think of 50 basis point hike? Is that a possibility? So people were asking, journalists were asking, Powell, can you remove this right tail risk from the distribution? Mm -hmm. Or Powell, Will you hike actually in the big meetings where you also put out projections, economic projections, so every every basically four times in a year? Or can you also hike in the intermediate meetings, in the smaller meetings? So that will mean being able to hike all the way to seven times this year. And he also didn't remove he didn't remove basically neither of these right tail risks mm -hmm. of hiking 50 basis point and hiking more often than four times. Those remain residual risk. They did correct me if I'm wrong, but he didn't take them off the equation. Yeah, no, you absolutely did not. I mean, it effectively said, look, we have to be responsive to however inflation dynamics continue to come in, which means the markets are not going to get any relief as it relates to certainty. Markets love certainty. Markets hate uncertainty. Um, so definitely agree with you in terms of what the market was looking for today. I would argue the removal of the 50 basis point hike risk was a big, uh, big instrument there. Um, and then as well as the sort of potential hiking off schedule as it relates to um, in the meetings in between those that uh, contain some updated summary of economic projections. Yeah, so, and Darius, let's talk about what were the macro reasons why, that Powell gave to, to um, 
uh, to the audience on why he doesn't want to remove any right tail hawkishness from this statement. So about the labor market or about inflation and the economy, what's your takeaway from what he said? Yeah, so I mean, look, the Fed is, it appears that Jay Powell, at least on its own in, in a press conference, has finally caught up to where we've been in. We've been talking about this on this program for a couple of months now. Finally caught up to where we've been with respect to uh, labor market dynamics. The labor market is incredibly tight. Um, if you, uh, Brian, if you put that chart up, that wages chart where we show uh, the employment cost, uh, or sorry, the quits rate, the blue line, relative to the employment cost index, which is the sort of the best, uh, broadest measure of, of employment of wages, and the quits rate's at an all-time high, accelerating to an all-time high, and the employment cost index um, as a function of that uh, is accelerating to a 16-year high as well. So, or sorry, an 18-year high, my, my apologies there. This is the, a critical dynamic, and it's really being driven by something that the Fed, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily have a whole heck of a lot of control over. Um, if you look at the labor, labor supply chart, uh, I, I sent you, Brian, um, the middle panel in that labor supply chart shows the prime working age uh, labor force participation rate. Um, so we've seen a step function increase um, in the number of people back into the labor market, you know, the sort of step function decreases in unemployment rates, particularly in affected cohorts like African-Americans, Hispanics, people without high school diplomas, low income uh, labor and things of that nature. But one thing that has not improved from a labor supply perspective in recent months um, is the prime working age labor force participation rate. Um, for whatever reason, people, you know, in prime working ages have not really sort of budged as it relates to coming back into the labor force. And that number has not improved since July. And so there is a supply demand dynamic going on with respect to labor. Uh, the Fed thought it was cyclical. It may become structural. And that's something that, that in our opinion, is the number one reason why Powell um, is out there not removing the right tail of hawkishness. Yeah. So there are two sides of this labor force participation right Darius. Let's unpack it for our listeners. So one side of it, of the story is that as the pool of available labor or working age um, uh, population in the economy doesn't become as big as it was before. So for everybody, labor force participation rate is about one and a half percent below what it was before pandemic. And while aging of the population naturally leads to this number to let's say gradually in a trend fashion to be lower, the Fed estimates that a full percentage point it's due to COVID-related reasons. So retirements that are you know, related not to aging, but to something else. Mm -hmm. So if the pool of available labor actually shrinks, then you have generally two effects. The first is that as you have less people in the labor force competing for a lot of jobs, as aggregate demand has been pretty strong. So the demand for labor is very high and the supply of labor is actually pretty small, mm -hmm. wage pressures might actually increase. And Powell also mentioned that he's watching if wage, wage, actually if real wages would turn from negative to positive and above productivity rates, then it would be pretty worried because this would be a self-reinforcing mechanism for inflationary pressures. Mm -hmm. The other side of the equation, though, is real growth over time. Because if your labor force is, is structurally smaller than before, then you have less people contributing actively to mm. real GDP growth over the long term and real earnings, and you have more people that are actually retired or outside the labor force that consume but do not contribute actively to the economy. So from a real growth perspective, this could have been a, uh, let's say, uh, dovishly interpreted development in the labor market, this sticky lower participation rate, but Powell is choosing to focus only on the potential wage implications of this mm -hmm. lower participation rate. Is that a fair assessment, Darius? Yeah, and it's a fair assessment. Just consider, I 100% agree with everything you just said, and thank you for unpacking that. It's a definitely a fair assessment, and I think he's correct to have that uh, that that view. 
um, just thinking about where we are in the inflation dynamics. You know, so it's not a secret that inflation is elevated. You know, you look at uh, core PCE at a 30 something year high or headline CPI here, this inflation chart we, uh, uh, Brian's going to put up, you know, obviously at a 40 year high, you know, thereabouts on headline. You know, we're at the wrong point in the inflation cycle to be overly concerned about growth. And I would argue we're at the wrong point in the financial condition cycle to be overly concerned about, you know, financial conditions. Right? <laughs> you know, after five, you know, our nine, 10, or I think at the, at the intraday, we hit a 12% drawdown on the stock market. That's not enough to materially change the outlook for what we're talking about with respect to the labor market. And, and quite frankly, it's not enough to materially change the outlook with respect to growth um, of a medium term, you know, the kind of those, those cards are already on the table. And so to going back to sort of like what the ultimate implications are for asset markets is that the range, the distribution of outcomes as it relates to Fed policy normalization remains as wide as it was when we woke up this morning. And that's a negative uh, from the perspective of risk assets. Yeah, bravo, Darius. So investors actually, when they take risk, they like a narrow set of future probabilistic outcomes and this narrow set to be as positive as possible in terms of future outcome for them so that they can take risks more aggressively. And this press conference has basically widened, again, the range of possible outcomes because Powell hasn't cut the most hawkish tail of the distribution. That's the summary, and that's why the rates market is reacting the way it is, and that's why, especially at the front end, because now if you're a bond trader, you need to price the chance that at the front end, the Federal Reserve will um, effectively uh, release this right, style, right tail of the distribution. It, it, there is a, a residual chance, which has not been removed by Powell, that they will act even stronger than previously anticipated. And that's also why, as, a, as an equity investor, you're having a hard time taking risks. And you were pointing out before the show that the Nasdaq had what exactly? The, the strongest intraday reversal, you told me. Yeah, the Nasdaq at one point was up 3%, just as the market was going reading through the the statement, which again, I, I will make this point very clear, the statement did in fact reduce the tail of the hawkish right tail of probable outcomes. It shrank the distribution of probable outcomes. And then obviously Powell came back and widened it again. And so the NASDAQ, which was at 3% at one point uh, in the session, obviously closed down. Um, you know, that intraday reversal, as uh, I heard on Bloomberg, is the biggest intraday reversal we've seen since August of 2015. Now, we didn't make new lows, you know, or I think we, we bottomed in early September of 2015. Fact check me on that. Uh, but the reality is, you know, that there was some, you know, we do need to see something else, some other catalyst come to the forefront in terms of arresting uh, the decline uh, in stocks and broader risk appetite. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear awards from our partners. We'll be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. And when you see the moves that front-end real interest rates have had, I mean, like two-year yields went up more than 10 basis points, five-year yields too, while inflation expectations that I'm checking on Bloomberg right now haven't actually moved that much, real yeah. yields have actually repriced very aggressively post-press yeah. conference, signaling a tightening again in financial conditions. And there was this nice interview that Rob Arnold had with Martin Leibowitz at Real Vision, where they talk exactly about the effect of higher interest rates and real interest rates on the future cash flows uh, discounted in growth equities and what this this interconnection might actually play out. Let's listen to that for for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, uh, 
obviously, as, inf as inflation goes up, nominal rates go up, and then real rates will follow because the Fed response will make it happen. Mm -hmm. So with higher rates, stronger discounting of future flows means lower prices, lower prices in general for just about all assets that are based upon future flows. However, it's worth noting, and well, one more, yeah, it's worth noting that for growth, growth equities, while it's often believed that they basically are damaged by higher inflation, what's really true is that they're damaged for sure at the outset of a burst of inflation. But over the longer term, it may be that these companies, which after all have greater pricing power than most firms, will be able to accommodate the effects of inflation and should be able to actually, dare I say it, even become more profitable as they use inflation as perhaps an air cover to uh, achieve greater profitability. For anybody interested in listening to the full interview, it's on the Real Vision website, Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. What do you think of the effect that higher real interest rates will have or might have, Darius, on several sectors of the stock market? I know that you have been very, very bearish high beta stocks. Great call, <laughs> I have to say. We have, my friend, we have. <laughs> I, I don't, don't, don't want to take credit, come on. Um, uh, but, but you have been very vocal about that and rightfully so. What's your view on stock market and stock market sectors? Because our audience, I guess, is scratching their head at, is there a place where I can still invest in the stock market without, without being actually thrown under the bus, which is not energy stocks and financials, which are really doing very well. What's your view on the overall stock market situation here? Yeah, no, that's a wonderful question. And, and, and really taking it back to the impetus, which is a, a conversation about real interest rates and ultimately their impact on different sector leadership, style factor leadership, overall, you know, multiples and, and, and risk appetite in general. You know, I think that that sort of conversation, um, you know, we, we, you know, as investors, we run the risk of overly simplifying things and sort of, you know, become and, and, and really re-anchoring and constantly re-anchoring our processes, our investment process on whatever the topic du jour of the day is. And right now clearly is financial tightening through the lens of real interest rates. That doesn't mean the growth cycle has, has gone anywhere. It doesn't mean the credit cycle has gone anywhere. That doesn't mean the inflation cycle has gone anywhere. And these, each of these independent cycles, and oh, by the way, there's this thing called the fiscal policy cycle as well. All of these independent cycles, or I, sorry, they're not independent, they're reflexive, they're codependent, but the reality is they haven't gone anywhere. And so it does matter the shape, the slate, the shape and slope of the growth curve really will have an outsized influence on the amount of risk investors can take in the stock market. We know growth is already modestly decelerating off of its cycle peak that it recorded uh, earlier and are sort of gonna kind of in mid 2021. That's not, I don't think, that's certainly already within consensus expectations, but as you and I have been talking on this program for a few months now, consensus expectations for growth remain very elevated. Um, if you look at Bloomberg consensus, use your ECFC function out there for you Bloomberg subscribers, the Bloomberg consensus is expecting, this is economist consensus, Wall Street consensus, Jan Hatzi, it's all the big names you, you know out there, um, you know, all the big names we've learned from over the course of our careers. They expect real GDP growth in the U.S. to be you know, 160 basis points above trend. And this is 160 basis points above trend in a year where we just heard from the head of the Federal Reserve that the hawkish right tail on the monetary policy has refused to be cut off. It's a year where we know there's no Build Back Better agenda. There's no more fiscal easing. Um, we, this is a, we, 
with the, I, I think Justice Breyer retired today. So now we're going to shift the focus from, you know, maybe even getting child tax care credit done to let's, you know, hit the midterms or hit the, start hammering the midterms on who's going to replace um, Justice Breyer. So this is a hairy situation. And, and we know it's hairy. We know high beta risk assets are, are likely to come under increasing amounts of trouble as we progress throughout this year. I've said in our research, hey, there's, there's still a window based on a confluence of factors that you know we'll update our subscribers on in tomorrow's leadoff morning note. There's still a window for a potential relief rally, but the Jay Powell did his best to sort of slam that window shut this uh, this afternoon. Yeah, and I think before going deeper into the stock market here, uh, also you know. Um, Back, backtracking a bit to the interview content, we need to talk for a second more about the bond market and what, oh, how, yeah. how, how is it reacting to today's Powell statement. So um, I, I put a chart out of um, the yield curve slope between five years and 30 years. Um, I use swaps, that's a cleaner version than, than bonds, but for the sake of the argument without overcomplicating it, the slope of the yield curve between five year and 30 year measured appropriately is now at 25 basis point. So literally 25 basis point. There is not so much room left while everybody focuses on the slope between two and 10 years. The slope between five and 10 year and 30 years is also very significant because a lot of the borrowing that happens in the economy has, has now been basically moved towards the long duration borrowing. So long end bond deals are very relevant for financial conditions nowadays. Yeah. And five year bond deals tend to tell you what investors and traders actually expect from the Fed over the foreseeable future rather than only over the next two years. So the spread mm -hmm. between five and 30 years is very important, has been flattening relentlessly. Made yeah. a call last year when five thirties were at 119 basis points, they're now at 25 basis points. So the curve has been flattening relentlessly, which is basically signaling, and today as well, post the, com the, the press conference is flattening too, which is basically signaling that Yes, investors are repricing the chances that the Fed is going to be even more aggressive and hiking maybe six times, seven times, eight times over the next two years, and maybe 10 times over the next five years. But then there is a cap. According mm -hmm. to the bond market, the highest you can go is about 1.5, 1.75% in Fed funds rate. And then once you get there for the year six to year 30, in order to make the curve steeper, you would need real growth and inflation to be able to produce decent prints despite federal funds rate having reached 1.75%. And the market just disagrees with that. It's basically telling you, if you get there fast enough and you tie it fast enough, we're basically going to imply that you are done. You are done. From year five going forward, you are basically removing the uncertainty for the bondholders. You are basically telling them you are safe by owning third-year bonds because we're going to tighten so much that inflation and growth are going to come down. So if you own 30-year bonds, you're going to benefit from it, actually. And that's why, while five-year yields go up, 30-year yields actually don't move that much, and the curve flattens till the point it basically inverts. I think it will invert sooner or later, and the markets will be testing Powell. What do you think of curve inversion, Darius? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's it's... Today, he more or less confirmed that it's going to happen, right? Because, yeah. you know, they effectively said, hey, look, we're, we're going to do quantitative tightening based on principal reinvestment or the lack thereof. And it's likely to be sort of, you know, increasingly concentrated towards their mortgage-backed uh, security portfolio, which is, in our opinion, code word for we're not going to sell down long duration into the market yeah. in order to maintain a steep yield curve, which means he, I don't know if he's paying attention to these dynamics. I assume he is. But I mean, we're we're very close to curve inversion uh, to the extent that they do anything incrementally hawkish from this point today, right? And so that that, in our opinion, 
um, will be a leading indicator for a below trend growth slowdown that may start to materialize around Q4, even in the early part of, of, of 2023. So um, that's very much our view. Um, we've always said, and you, you, you certainly agree with us in terms of your credit impulse uh, uh, framework, you know, that this was going to be a year of normalization with respect to growth. And the speed of that normalization is obviously showed up, um, is starting to show up in, in, the, in the yield curve. And if it gets any worse then risk assets or all hell's going to break loose, quite frankly. Yes, I think the market is now going to try and chase uh, and challenge really Powell's stance, especially if the data comes in weaker as we expect, and they have been coming weaker. Uh, January PMIs in America were 50.6. That's the, the weakest print over the last six years. Sure, Omicron played a role, but it's remarkable yeah. that we had the weakest print in six years in PMIs. And Powell is talking about the booming economy and tightening and not removing the right tail of the tightening distribution from the minds of investors here. So not a surprise from my side to see a reversal in, in, in risk assets here. I also plotted another chart that is part of the financial conditions index because Powell was asked about that. And he, he said, well, you know, they have been tightening, but actually he almost endorsed the tightening in financial conditions by saying, you know, we work by a signaling effect and we see that market participants have taken in stride our signaling effect and financial conditions are basically moving according to what we would, you know, find okay to be. One of the of the indicators in this financial condition index is um, credit spreads in junk bonds, high yield mm -hmm. bonds. And these credit spreads are uh, around 330 basis point today. And at the lows, they were 290, 280 basis point. But they, they have been widening. So these credit spreads have been going up a bit, but at a very slow pace. This is, this is nothing too scary from a credit spread perspective. And we're talking about the lowest rated part of the corporate bond market. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of the angles where the market could try and challenge Powell together with the high beta stock. So if the market goes after this stance, we'll probably do it on the weakest links, right, in yeah. the financial condition index, so that to challenge the stance, basically, to see whether the, the Federal Reserve can, can hold it. Uh, what do you think ultimately is going to be the, the end game of all of this, um, Darius? I mean, over the if you look at the probable outcomes over the next few months, how do you think this all ends? Yeah, well, I, I think this all ends, and and you know, sort of been saying this in our our macro scouting reports, our monthly presentations for a few months now. It ends with the market fearing that the Fed is on a runaway train to tightening policy at the same time the U.S. economy is having a growth scare. Now, I in terms of the probable point and when that occurs, our model saying the earliest that potentially occurs March, and sort of the latest it'll potentially occur is sometime in Q3. I don't have a crystal ball, nobody does, but in terms of helping investors prepare for that, that potential risk, because that, in our opinion, is how you get a market crash. That's how you get a Q4-18. That's how you get a, um, you know, early 2016. That's how, you know, that's how you, these things start to happen, is when the policy uh, expectation materially diverges from the growth expectation. And the one thing that can cause that is an on, it's a continuation of the wage pressure dynamics of sticky inflation kind of remaining sticky. We know inflation's coming down. Inflation's gonna normalize. Everyone's got the same autoaggressive modeling framework and we all see supply chains um, uh, ameliorating in terms of the PMIs, um, you know, the supplier delivery times, all that data. So inflation's gonna come down. But will it come down quick enough for the Fed to say, oh, please give me something to back off of this policy tightening initiative, right? If you use financial conditions as the reason the Fed backs off, 
then you will lose money as an investor. It can't be your leading indicator, right? Yeah, of course. Because, yeah, you're, you know, you can't go, oh, well, if the stock market's down 20 to 30%, the Fed will back off. Well, we're trying to help you avoid the 20 to 30% drawdown. And so in terms of looking at uh, economic data, forward-looking market expectations and fixed income and rates markets, economic data that's projectable and, and forecastable, I don't see anything that can get them off of that path. I think we're headed for that. Yeah, I'm afraid um, that the, the left side of the drawdown distribution is unfortunately wide open here, yeah. uh, despite having had already quite a drawdown uh, in, in broad indexes, although it must be said that certain parts of the stock market and certain asset classes have been doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, commodities, one of that, financials, one of that as well. So there have been places where to hide this year and still preserve purchasing power. Uh, we have to jump to questions, I'm afraid, already, Darius, because we have a gazillion of those. So uh -huh. uh, multiple people on the Real Vision website are actually asking, what's going on in gold? I mean, can you give us a gold update, given the, the recent Fed meeting? No, no, I actually can't. I'm, I'm probably the worst gold trader in, in North America, um, <laughs> have been for the past six months. So I, I, I've been confounded by gold. I'll be very honest about that. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, uh, I was short gold at the beginning of the year to try and play the, the proxy to higher real interest rate. I got the real interest rate move very well, but gold yeah. didn't do anything, didn't do absolutely anything. So as always, when I can't explain what's going on, I just pair my positions and I have no position in gold nowadays. After the press conference today, I might want to consider uh, leaning on the short side again. I don't have a trade on, so I'm, I'm not going to say I might consider and then claim I was right three weeks later. If I have a trade on, you can see it at the macro compass or on Twitter. Uh, I don't have any trade on on gold, but what he said today and the moves in real rates and where we are potentially going in terms of tightening the entire financial conditions perhaps don't bode that well. But so far this year, the correlations of, uh, of gold to any underlying macro driver have actually broken. So. It's a pretty um, confounding asset to trade. I, I agree with Darius here. Um, let's see. We have another Actually, one. Let me make one, one quick comment. Uh, this is something you brought up in our, in our Macro Bundle Live discussion earlier today, which is as investors, what we want to do is shrink the distribution of probable outcomes. Like you, there's this wide range of distributions of, that could happen with growth, inflation, policy, geopolitics. And what you're trying to do as investors by doing research and by you know, having a risk management strategy is reduce, you know, cut off the tails, cut off the tail as much as you possibly can. We never really truly are able to do that. Yeah. Other question for both of us, uh, Nicholas says on the exchange, what are your thoughts around the lagging, the lagging labor force participation rate, the main drivers for it? Um, I, I think this is an important question to go back to because it will ultimately drive the part of the inflationary pressures and also part of the rhetoric that the Fed has about the labor market. So. Uh, what's your view, actually? How, how is this labor force participation rate going to play out, Darius? Yeah, I mean, I've seen surveys and estimates. You know, we've seen a million people leave the labor market as a function of retirement, early yeah. retirement, rather. Um, you know, there's all these surveys that are coming out. I don't think anybody really knows for sure yet until we actually look at the data from a backward-looking perspective, you know, after the cycle. Um, but the reality is I think there are some other things going on as well. Uh, let's start by saying people probably feel a lot richer than they did prior to the pandemic. At least those with assets, those those families and households with financial assets, um, and as a function of feeling richer, plus the confluence of a lot of people moving out of the city, where prices tend to be much higher, you know, the cost of living tends to be much higher. You know, moving out of the city means you can go from a a two income household to a single income household and really not materially drag on your the quality of your lifestyle. And so I think that's a factor as well. Again, it's impossible to quantify this. We're going to have to do some serious deep dive, deep work. Uh, the government will. 
um, when we look back on all this. But again, the, the, the question is not, because I think the premise of the question, if you can kind of read in between the lines is, yeah, but the labor force administration rate could just spring higher and then it ameliorates all these problems. And yes, that is certainly a risk in terms of a rapid improvement in labor supply uh, here in the U.S. economy. I don't know, I don't see anything that suggests that is a reasonable probability of occurring over the next few months. Yeah. Right? That's, that's the critical, it's the timeline, it's the duration by which that occurs, right? To me, I think that's, a, that's the key takeaway with your thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, this is basically impossible to forecast, but I tend to agree on the fact that if you were planning to retire on capital gains, then perhaps you have also made choices to make sure that you can, you have a buffer around this capital gains. So assuming that a 10% drawdown in risk assets will have to bring you back to the labor force seems quite a harsh assumption. I mean, if I were planning yeah. to retire only to live out of my, out of my capital gains, I, were, I would A, make sure I lock some of those in to start mm -hmm. with, and then second, I would have a buffer around those. So I don't think it's it's that simple to assume that if, if risk assets go down then labor force participation up go, uh, goes up because people have to come back into the labor force. But again, almost impossible to, um, to forecast. We're gonna take another quick break to hear words from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. There is, there is then a question on, on um, let's say, the bond, the long bond trade, um, and a question about real estate, so REITs in general, uh, real estate investment trusts. So what do you think of those, of the long bond trade and of uh, real estate investment trusts? Yeah, when the market is ready to fully price in everything we're talking about as it relates to this wily coyote moment, if you will, between Fed policy, the Fed policy outlook and the growth outlook, you know, bonds are going to start the rally well ahead of that. Um, so it's my job as a risk manager to help investors say spot that moment where it's looking like you, you got to start lagging back into bonds in a material size. You know, again, it's in our opinion, that's within the next one to three months at, 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 you know, on the, on the, on the, at the longest. Because again, I think we're very long in the tooth as it relates to the yield curve flattening we've already seen. We're very long in the tooth in terms of the bond market pricing in how hawkish this Fed can be. Yeah. And we look at it as, as your, uh, your brilliant chart about the short end, really it basically says, hey, look, we're not going to be able to digest much more than this. You know, this economy, our star hasn't moved just because of Jay Powell's press conference. That's the market's expectation of you know, the neutral policy rate. Um, you know, sort of the Nehru, the non-inflation uh, accelerating unemployment rate, that hasn't moved because of Jay Powell's press conference. So eventually the market's got to get to the point where it's like, we've overcooked it. Time to go the other way because the next the next major policy pivot will be back towards the dovish. It may not come, you know, over the next, you know, two, three, four, five months or even two or three quarters, but the bond market is obviously looking, looking forward uh, much further than that. I completely agree. I'm long treasuries, again, yeah. uh, put out there uh, in the wide, nothing to hide. It's on the macro compass, it's on Twitter, long since 185% two weeks ago. It's uh, actually a week ago, I think it's carrying my way. Um, the reason why I'm long the longer part of the bond curve is that the short end can become to price a bit more, but if it prices a bit more then the yield curve will flatten anyway. So mm -hmm. I have a hard time believing that 10 year bond yields can go any higher than 185, 190%. And if they go, and if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm just gonna stop out as for every trade where I'm wrong, because we are here to manage risks and try to skew 
the oh. odds in our favor at the end of the day and not to be right 100% of the times, that's impossible. Yeah. Um, okay. Any view on, uh, on real estate, just to close it out? Yeah, no, we, I mean, real estate's one of the sectors that should do well in the environment that we're talking about. So let's go, let's kind of run down the rap sheet of all of the things that we factor in from a quantitative perspective in terms of our sector and style factor pivots or our general asset allocation views. What we're going to have, a, we're going to be transitioning to a state in the economy where growth and inflation are slowing simultaneously. That's positive for real estate. Um, growth will likely be slowing at a moderate pace initially. Uh, it could eventually start slowing at a more than moderate at a meaningful pace. That will be negative for real estate, but the moderate pace tends to be fine, as does the moderate deceleration in inflation. Quantitative tightening in this particular regime is obviously not positive for real estate, but we're not quite there yet. Policy rate tightening uh, is not great uh, as well, but generally speaking, the rest of the world being in a similar uh, framework, at least as it relates to growth and inflation, those things are fine. So net, 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 real estate is one of those sectors in the stock market if you're an investor that has to remain fully invested, semi-fully invested. Those are one of the places you're going to want to hide from a sectoral perspective. But generally speaking, a lot of what I said today is that we're going to go from a situation where it's okay to hide to it's not okay to hide. Uh, yeah. That, in our opinion, remains our base case scenario. Well, Darius, um, again, thank you for being here. It's always Likewise. great to have your downloads together with me and sit here together and discuss all of this. Uh, with such important events for our listeners to unpack. So thanks again for being here. And thanks, brother. Thanks. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks, thanks everybody, for uh, watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Maggie will be back tomorrow with Thomas Thornton. Before you go, guys, just a reminder that at midnight on Friday, the cost of joining ProCrypto will actually go up by more than 20%. ProCrypto is the new tier that has been successfully launched by Real Vision. You can get all the details in case you want to subscribe and the membership choices at www.realvision.com slash membership slash pro dash crypto. As always, the conversation continues on the exchange and uh, tune in tomorrow to listen to what Maggie and Thomas Donald will discuss. And uh, thanks again for watching, guys. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.